This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Hey, happy Mother's Day to all of our moms, wannabe moms, soon-to-be moms, might one day be moms, used-to-be moms, whatever category you fall in. Uh, we are glad that you are here today and happy to get to celebrate with you. My name is Chris. I'm the pastor here at Christian Chapel, and you're joining us in the middle of a message series that we've called Exchange, Trading Death for Life. And so since Easter, we've been talking about what it looks like to come to God with our our brokenness, with our mess, with our disasters, with stuff that we're proud of sometimes, stuff that we're ashamed of other times, and to exchange it for the, the fullness of life that he offers to us. And each week, we've kind of started with this reminder of when you and I think of exchanges or trades, we normally think of economic transactions, where we are bringing something of value, even if it's somewhat diminished, and we're exchanging it for something of hopefully greater value. But that's not exactly the way that our exchanges with God work. What we are coming to him with is our our brokenness, our hurt, um, a lot of times just kind of the, the junk of our life. And he's offering to exchange it with incredible treasures of new life, of hope, of healing, of salvation. And so we're coming uh, purely as recipients. Our only job in this whole process is to surrender. And this morning, what we're going to look at is what it looks like for us to trade our worry for his peace. Um, Now, Mother's Day is a, a pretty good day for us to talk about worry, I think, because being a mom and worry can often go hand to hand. And um, not a lot of judgment there, moms, because it is completely understandable. Uh, how many of you would admit that when you were growing up, or maybe currently you are growing up, or maybe you are fully grown, and yet you are still a significant source of worry, stress, anxiety, and concern for your mother? Anybody? Okay, so those of us who raised our hands, we told the truth, and the rest of you are liars. Um, Because if your mom has not worried about you at some point in your life, uh, I mean, sorry to tell you, she doesn't love you. But, uh, you know, it's bad news on Mother's Day. No, but but really, it it just is. I mean, moms and worry kind of go hand to hand. And the reason that is, is because kids, from the moment they are born, are committed to doing things that are bad for them, right? Like, have you seen the things a one-year-old will put in their mouth? All sorts of things. Like they'll be walking out and they'll think there's little green candies on the sidewalk walking out front this morning. But you know that's from the Canadian geese and your child cannot eat those. And so you, you worry about what happens if they do. You've seen the nutritional choices of a six-year-old. And you know that left to themselves, they would eat McDonald's, drink pop and candy and be dead by 14. Uh, and so, so there is some worry that comes with that. You have ridden the roller coaster of emotions and puberty with teenagers. And you are fully aware, moms, of the, the different worries and concerns that come up there. You have taught them to drive. You have launched them out of the house. You've watched young adults make um, decisions that maybe you don't agree with. And your big concern is, do I speak up? and tell them they're wrong, or do I let them just figure it out on their own? Right? And, and so worry is just kind of a, a constant temptation and, and can feel like a constant companion at times for moms. But it's, it's not just moms who are tempted to worry. Uh, you know, I, I like to think of myself as somebody who doesn't worry much at all. Um, until uh, my circumstances change. And suddenly, now I'm being attacked by worry again. A couple weeks ago, I started reading a book uh, about grief, preparing for a message next week, and and was reading through it. And the author was talking about how he had lost his wife in a car accident. Um, And and lots of good lessons in there, but I started reading that book uh, on a day that my wife left for a conference in Dallas and was going to be gone for four days. 
And so for the next four days, as I'm reading through this book, all I'm thinking the whole time is I really hope Angie makes it back from Dallas because she's got to drive four hours and she's not even driving. She's not in control. Some other woman's in control. And I know what Dallas traffic is like. And I know what the Muskogee Turnpike is like. And oh my goodness, if something happened to her, how long would the kids survive on spaghetti and brats and grilled cheese? Like we just want it, make it very, you know, and, and so you just kind of cycle through these things. You don't have to be married. You don't have to be a spouse to worry. We worry about all sorts of things. We worry about the way we look. We worry about if we are healthy today, if we'll be healthy tomorrow. We worry about our kids. We worry about our parents. We worry about our siblings. We worry about our friends. We worry about our jobs, about our school. We worry about our grades. We worry about our kids' grades. We worry about what happened in our past, what's happening to us right now, what will happen in the future. We worry about our homes, our cars, basically anything and everything we have in our life might have, did have, or could one day have we worry about, right? And and so when we come to this idea of exchanging worry for peace, it can be tempting for us to think, well, I just need Jesus to come and at least lessen the amount of worry that I experience in my life. But what we're gonna see this morning in Matthew 6 is that he offers us something far more significant than just worry management. He actually offers us a life that, that can be free of worry, and can be defined by his peace and his presence. So Matthew chapter 6 is where we are. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be here on the screens for you. But it's right in the middle of an extended passage of teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to pick it up in verse 25, where Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, Jesus starts with a a very direct statement to us. In fact, not just a statement, but a command. Do not worry. And then he tells us, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. Don't worry about your body. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about the future. And so he he kind of gives us the command, and then he shows us it is an all-encompassing command. And so do not worry is not a suggestion, but it is a direct command to you from God. So what that means for us is if we choose to worry and ignore this command, we are not just a a little bit more of a nervous personality. We are not just a a little more concerned about the future and, and like to control things. What we're doing when we worry is we are sinning, right? Worry is sin, now, there are, there are segments of, of church world where people get really excited if a, a pastor or a church will come right out and say, this is sin. Normally, the sins we are most excited to hear condemned are the ones we're not currently struggling with, right? 
Like, yeah, get after the sexual immorality, get after the greed, get after the idolaters. But when it comes to worry is sin, it's kind of like, oh, but it's not. I mean, it, eh. worry is sin. I think of it from a parenting perspective. When you tell your children, do not do that, and then they do that, what do you call it? Right? Some of you call it Tuesday. Like, that's just every day. That was this morning on the way to church. Do not hit your brother. I didn't hit him. I was stretching and he walked into my fist. Totally innocent, mom, right? But when your kids do that, you call it out for what it is. You don't excuse it. You don't say, oh, that's probably the result of your environment, honey. You're like, no, stop disobeying. Stop disobeying. And and God has the same concern for us. He knows there are things in the world that are hurtful and harmful to us. And so in the scriptures, he commands us not to do those for our good and for the good of others. And worry is one of these. And and yet again and again and again, we will come and we will try to excuse ourselves from this command. We'll say, I know Jesus said not to worry, but if he knew what I was dealing with at work, at school, at my home, with this relationship, in my marriage, with this kid, if he knew what a knucklehead this kid was, he would understand why I'm so worried about them, right? And we have all these excuses for it. But at its core, worry is sin. There's an author named Francis Chan who who writes really specifically and directly to um, our desire to excuse our worries. It's in his book, Crazy Love. I've shared this with you before, but it's just, it's so, such a perfect summary. I'm going to share it again. He says, worry implies that we don't quite trust God is big enough, powerful enough, or loving enough to take care of what's happening in our lives. Stress says the things we are involved in are important enough to merit our impatience, our lack of grace towards others or our tight grip of control. Basically, these two behaviors communicate that it's okay to sin and not trust God because the stuff in my life is somehow exceptional. Both worry and stress reek of arrogance. Now, I learned a a long time ago, if you're going to say direct and offensive things, you quote somebody else who said them, right? (laughs) If you want to get mad at me, this is Francis Chan. I don't have his number. Uh, good luck finding an email. But, but listen to that last night. Worry and stress, anxiety, you can fit all of those in there, and we can have all of our excuses, and you can think, no, 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 you don't understand. You got, I've got this going on. I've got that going on. These two behaviors communicate it's okay to sin and not trust God because the stuff in my life is somehow exceptional. Both behaviors reek of arrogance. He's saying the same thing that, that Jesus says here, worry is sin. And the reason Jesus calls worry sin is because he knows it's harmful to us, right? It's worthless and it's harmful. The first thing he tells us is who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Now, throughout this passage, Jesus asks a couple different rhetorical questions that he assumes you and I know the answer to. So the first thing he's telling us is one of the reasons worry is sin is because it corrupts your view of God, it corrupts your view of yourself, and it also is a completely worthless exercise. Your worries do not add any value to your life or to anyone else's life. Now, there's a a big difference between being concerned and being worried. 
Right? It, it's right for you to be concerned about the important things in your life. It's right for you to be concerned about uh, working a job, about loving your family, about finding God's plan for your life, about stewarding your finances, about caring for your home. Those are all fine things to be concerned about. But when concern turns into worry, worry that keeps you up at night, worry that causes you to doubt the goodness and the grace of God, worry that, that stirs your heart in directions of fear and control, when that begins to happen, concern is turned to worry and worry is sin, and that type of worry is worthless. It does absolutely nothing for you. He says, who can add a single hour to their life? And the answer is, of course, no one. Not only is it worthless, but it's also harmful to you. Jesus begins to, to point us towards an idea, and, and, and we don't have time to get into it today, but you can go home and, and Google um, effects of worry, stress, and anxiety. And what you're going to find is a body of research over the past 40 or 50 years that shows us again and again and again, lifestyles that are filled with worry, stress, and anxiety shorten the length of our life and diminish the quality of our life. And so what Jesus is trying to teach us is don't worry because it's bad for you and it's going to kill you, right? And and already some of us, so you go home and you read those studies and what are they going to do? They're going to make you worry more. Like now you're worried that you're a worried person and you're going to die earlier. And if you're worried about worrying and dying earlier, you're going to die even earlier. And if the study says one year, you've probably taken 10 years just in the five minutes it took you to read that article. Because this is how worry works. It snowballs on itself over and over and over again. And Jesus understands you will never be strong enough or disciplined enough to manage your worries. Instead, you have to surrender them to completely give them up. And the exchange he offers us is an exchange of our worry for his peace. As we kind of work our way through this passage this morning, what we're gonna see is there are three trades that Jesus offers us where we come with with the sources of our worry and he replaces them with sources of peace. Now, before we get into that, a a little caveat for you. I, um, like many of you, I am a list person. Okay, I love lists. I love checklists. I love listening to preachers and teachers who teach with lists. The temptation for people like us, though, is that, that we hear a list. We hear, here are three trades we make, and we think, okay, I'm going to do that this week. You approach it the same way you would a workout or a recipe. If I just do these things, I'm going to get those results. But as we've been talking about all through this series, the, the first exchange Jesus offers to make with us is an exchange of our death for his life an exchange of our, our smallness, our, our lack of power for his supernatural power, his spirit that lives in us. And so even this morning, as we talk about exchanging worry for peace, we're not talking about you becoming more self-disciplined or a better version of who you currently are. What we're talking about is your complete surrender to the power and presence of Jesus in your life because he is the only one who can bring perfect and lasting peace to you. Right? So, so with that in mind, let's jump into these three trades that Jesus offers. The first is to trade my power for God's power. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Jesus tells us not to worry because he knows that we're tempted by it. And, and really, at the, the base of many of our worries is a desire for power and a recognition of our lack of control. And, and as we see, I'm not strong enough to control all of these things. Instead of surrendering and saying, okay, well, God must be then, we decide we're going to try harder to control them. 
And what you know from your experience, because you've been on both sides of that control in different relationships, is that anytime somebody tries to exercise their control over the uncontrollable, what they wind up doing is suffocating the life out of their relationships and killing their ability to enjoy the good gifts God has given them right now. Because every moment turns into, well, well, thank God for this spouse, for this marriage, but what if they mess it up? Oh, I can see how they might mess it up, so I'm going to fix that about them. Good luck with that. Right, or you have the child and you love the child and you're so thankful for it. And then, then you start seeing all the ways that their life could go wrong. And, and you make decisions of, I'm going to control these things. I'm not going to. Now, there's a difference between wise parenting and control fueled by worry. And when you start going down that path, what happens is you start choking the life out of every good thing that God brings to you. So what Jesus is telling us is, look, you need to get a bigger picture view of who God is and what God does. And if he can feed the birds of the air, and he can clothe the flowers of the field. He, he's pointing us to God's massive involvement in all of creation. And he's saying if he can do everything it takes to keep the world spinning, to keep everyone fed, to keep all of, all of, all of nature in sync with each other, then surely he can take care of the small details of your life, no matter how big you think they are. And as we get a bigger picture view of God and his power, then we are more okay acknowledging our lack of power. But for as long as you think your future security depends on your power and control, worry will be your constant companion. You'll never get over it. You'll never get by it. Until you come to the point where you understand no matter what tomorrow may bring, God already holds it in his hands. No matter where he leads me, he's going to be there. He's going to be above it. He's going to be below it. He's going to surround it. His power will always be enough. And when we start to embrace that, then the amount of money in our 401k suddenly does not seem like such a massive responsibility that the whole world is going to fall apart if we don't hit the targets. Everything begins to shrink down to its proper perspective. So we want to trade our power for God's power. Right, the second trade that Jesus reminds us of here is we want to trade our insecurity for God's love. For many of us, we, we understand the idea that God is big, he is powerful, and yet we struggle to think, but would he really do that for me? And again, Jesus answers us with a, a rhetorical question here. He says, consider the birds of the air, the flowers of the field. God feeds them, God clothes them, he cares for them in every way that they need. And then he says, are you not more valuable than they? Okay, now if we, if we go outside this morning and we have in a line a toddler, a bird, and a flower, and I ask you, rank on a scale from one to three, one being most important, three being least important, these three things, and we all stand around and watch you, we are all universally going to agree the toddler is number one, right? Even if it happens to be your toddler who has been particularly horrible this morning, they're still number one. And then you can debate bird or flower, what you think is second or third. But overall, we're going to agree. And, and this is true around the world, throughout cultures. The only cultures where, where people would say, no, 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 they're all equal, are cultures that, that have completely abandoned all forms of ethical principles, all value of human life. And so for us, what Jesus is telling us here is, look, God takes care of the flower. He takes care of the bird. But you're, you're number one. You're above them. And if he does that for them, he's going to do that for you. It's just a, a very simple statement. And when we put them in, those, in, in that form of, of thinking, it, it makes sense. Well, of course, God always cares for people more than animals or plants. And yet, functionally, we often live like that's not true for me. I know God loves people. 
but do you believe God loves you? You know God values humanity, but do you believe God values you? And so one of the, the, the inroads that worry will take into your heart is insecurity in who you are and in God's love for you. And what you need to do when, when that begins to pop up is not move too quickly through that. Because what you'll want to do is just say, hey, well, okay, I'm, I'm worried. I know that's some insecurity in God's love and concern for me. Uh, I don't really have time to think about that, though, so I'm just going to move on. But what I would encourage you to do over the coming weeks is, is if worry is a constant struggle for you and insecurity in, in who God is and his love for you is something that comes up again and again, is really to dive deep into why you have those insecurities. Work down to the root of those issues. And as you begin to ask God, why, why do I have so much trouble accepting your love? Why do I have so much trouble believing that you really do have a plan for everyone, including me? Why do I spend so much of my time trying to earn what you have said has been freely given to me? As you get to the bottom of those insecurities, then God will begin to build your identity back up, rooted in his love from the inside out. Insecurity is fertile soil for worry to grow. When you're not sure who you are or who God is, you live with this constant tension of, is he real? Is he active? Is he involved in my life? So Jesus just reminds us, aren't you more valuable than them? And if God takes care of the birds and he takes care of the flowers, he's going to take care of you and he's going to take care of your kids. He's going to take care of your parents. He's going to take care of your issues. If he's involved in the minutia of nature, he's going to be involved in the minutia of your life. And so we find hope, we find comfort, we find security. And then just in case we don't get it, Jesus finishes again with a very direct statement reminding us that we are to trade our pagan identity for our place in God's family. Again, listen, listen to this in verse 31. Jesus says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. Now, Jesus apparently did not go to the school where they told him, if you were going to say offensive things, you need to quote someone else. Because, you know, I, I don't know, like there are, there are probably words that um, your family doesn't say, right? There are names that you don't call each other. Well, pagan would have been one of those words that you did not call a Jewish person. It was highly offensive. It was questioning their place in God's family. It was questioning their place in their family, in their nation, in their community. And what Jesus is saying here is, look, just in case you guys didn't get it when I said, do not worry, the people who worry, the people who chase their tails, trying to provide for their needs of each day, for their, the needs of their body, the needs of their family, these people are called pagans. Those without a relationship with God, those without a knowledge of God. It's a, it's a pretty offensive term that Jesus throws out, but he doesn't just throw it out. He attaches it to anyone who continually engages in the sin of worry. And it's kind of an offensive statement, right? Like I would not want you to come into my office tomorrow and be like, Chris, I like most of what you do, but you're kind of a pagan. Like, that conversation isn't going to go well. But that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's not using hyperbole here. He's saying, look, the people whose lives are rooted and ruled by worry are pagans. And the reason they're pagans is because they do not know their heavenly father. Right? The, the opposite side of that coin is he's telling the, telling the crowd there, but you don't have to live that way. 
You don't need to live that way. That's not who you are. So you don't need to adopt those behaviors because you belong to your heavenly father. And when you begin to embrace your identity as a son, as a daughter of God, then worry cannot gain as much traction in your life. I think of, think of when you were a kid, if you had good, loving parents, and they came to you and said, hey, get in the car, we're going on a trip. Now, most kids do what? They get in the car, and they go on the trip. Right? I remember as a kid, my parents doing this each summer. We'd go on a summer vacation, a road trip to see grandma, grandpa, maybe a little vacation for a week or so. And each time they would say, all right, load up, we're going to go. And they would tell us where we were going. At no point in my childhood did I ever say, Dad, let me see the map to make sure you know where you're going. I never asked him, are there toll roads along the way? And if so, do you have enough money? I never asked my mom, how much money do you guys make a year? And have you budgeted appropriately for this trip? I never worried about, are we going to eat along the way? Or are you actually taking me out here to starve to death? Right? It just, it was no concern. Like I knew as a kid, my job is to get in the van, annoy my siblings, and get yelled at until we get there. And I was awesome at that job. Right? I did it to perfection over and over and over again. Same thing with with Angie and I with our kids. They never get in the car and say, hey, what hotel are we staying at? Do you think it has bed bugs? Do you think that they clean it well? Have we been in there with a black light? They don't do any of that. Because that's mom and dad's job to worry about that kind of stuff. Right? That's our job to take care of all the needs. They just get in and they go for the ride. This is what Jesus is trying to teach us here. You worry because you think you're in control. But when you begin to understand it's your heavenly father who is driving you through this life, you can rest knowing that wherever he leads you, he's going to provide for you. Knowing that wherever he calls you, he has a plan for you. Knowing that for whatever ups and downs may come along the way, he's going to handle it. As a kid, I knew if we got a flat tire, it was not on me to get out and jack up the car and fix it. My dad was going to take care of that. Right? I, I knew if, if, if the weather came up, they were going to find a spot for us to stay. I had that level of trust in my parents. My identity as their child changed the way I thought about the circumstances of my life. It's the same thing Jesus is teaching us here. Your identity as the sons and the daughters of God changes the way you think about the circumstances of your life. When you know he's in control, that's what you come back to over and over and over again every time worry tries to attack. And then the last thing Jesus tells us is kind of this this overarching theme of how we defeat worry through his power and his presence. He says in verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. See, trading worry for peace isn't just about us not doing the wrong thing. It's also about us starting to do the right thing. And as we pursue God, as we experience the presence of his spirit, those function as the antidote for worry in our lives. And it's not enough for us just to sit here this morning and decide, okay, I'm not going to worry anymore, right? Now, you can make that decision, and you can decide through my own self-discipline, I'm going to make a list of everything I'm worried about. Don't do that. You'll get more worried when you look at it, right? But you can decide, I'm going I'm to manage it, I'm going to control it, and you might make it till about 3 or 4 o'clock this afternoon. And then the worry's going to come back again. And what Jesus is teaching us is it's not enough to just stop doing the wrong thing. You have to start doing the right thing. And so do not worry works hand-in-hand with seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. 
as you pursue God, you move farther and farther away from the temptations and the ground in which worry grows. As you learn more about his power, more about his love, more about his strength, more about his grace, you move farther and farther away from all these false beliefs that lead you to worry. But that idea of pursue his kingdom and his righteousness reminds us that this is an intentional action. There are things that we do. Now, these things are are not something we're doing to earn his love or earn his favor, but they are the result of us living for him, living with him, and following the path that he's laid out for us. You can think of, it, think of it this way. Think of the difference between a person who goes for a run. Right? And they just say, hey, I'm, I'm going for a run. Well, when you go for a run, you can go wherever you want. Right? You can go through any neighborhood. You can go through any trail. You can decide you're going to go off-road, that you're going to hop through backyards, that you're going to run inside. You're, you can do whatever you want when you go for a run. But if you say, I'm going to chase that person, you're going to follow wherever they go. Right? They turn left, you turn left. They turn right, they, you turn right. They go up, you go up. They go down, you go down. What Jesus tells us here, he doesn't say, just go for a jog and try to learn about God's kingdom and his righteousness. He says, pursue his kingdom and his righteousness. Right? This idea of some intentional action on our part. And as you read through the scriptures, there are three primary ways we see God's people pursuing him over and over and over again. The first is through the scriptures. When we are tempted to worry, we are tempted to believe lies about who God is, how he works, who we are, and what our job is. When we come back to the scriptures, we are reminded the truth of who God is, what he does, who we are, and how those things intersect in our world. And so the scriptures have to be a significant portion of our life. The problem for many of us is we spend more time listening to news, to media, to other things in our culture that inspire fear, that inspire worry, that inspire doubt, than we do reading the scriptures. So my my encouragement to you would be uh, maybe this week, if, if worry is a constant struggle for you, figure out about how much time you spend each day consuming media, right? Now that might be news, it might be social media, it might be all sorts of things. Maybe you still take a newspaper. Uh, Whatever it is, figure it out. And then figure out the amount of time you're putting in. And and over the next, uh, pick a time, two weeks. Over the next two weeks, make a decision that for two weeks, whatever time I spend pursuing all of these sources of information, right? Clicking on all the links of, hey, moms, here's a new way your kid might die this week. Whatever it is, you you chase all those things. Figure out how much time you spend. And then decide for the next two weeks, you're going to spend double that amount reading the Bible. Now, some of you already are like, that's not happening. (laughs) Because you know your consumption is in the 10 to 16 hours a day. And if you double that, you've run out of time, right? So what might have to happen is you might have to decrease your consumption before you can double the amount of time that you're spending in it. And, but I, I promise you what you will discover is as you decrease, because especially in our culture, fear sells, worry sells, anxiety is, is just clickbait that we click on over and over and over again, right? I mean, how many of those ring doorbell videos have you watched of somebody kicking in a door and you're now convinced that you need to arm your house like Fort Knox? Nobody wants your junk, right? They're not coming. Just because it happened to someone somewhere doesn't mean, like, if somebody broke into my house, half the time they'd feel like, I guess somebody already hit it, you know, and they, they just move on to the next one. 
Like, just relax a little bit. But as you decrease the amount of stress and anxiety and sources of fear that come in and you increase the truth of God's scripture that you're putting into your heart and your mind, what you will find is you are eliminating the soil in which worry grows. Scripture has to be a part of it, but not just scripture alone, because we're not just reading textbooks, right? We also want to pray so that these scriptures become active in our lives. Every temptation to worry is an invitation to prayer. Everything in your life that you look at and think, I don't know how I'm going to control that. I don't know what I'm going to do over here. God, what happens if this happens? Every single one of those moments can be redeemed and can become a holy invitation from God to why don't you just submit that to me? Why don't you pray about that? Why don't you surrender that? And as you begin to do that, you're reminded over and over and over again, God is big enough, God is strong enough, and he's going to take care of it. So we want to commit ourselves to scripture, we want to commit ourselves to prayer, and last thing is we want to commit ourselves to community. In a community of faith that is defined by authentic relationships and honest conversations, what you're going to find is you're not the first one to worry, you're not the last one to worry, but God will lead you through it. As you start to tell your stories of these are the places where I'm tempted, these are the things that that the enemy is saying to me, these are the ways that, that I'm tempted to be distracted, to worry, to control, to seek my own power, what you'll hear from other people again and again and again is, me too. I've been there, I've done that. And often what you'll begin to hear is, I was there and God led me out of it. As they start to tell you their stories of God exchanging their worry for his peace, it gives you hope and provides a path by which you can experience the same thing yourselves. As we've kind of worked through these messages, we've done our best to share a story with you of someone from our community each week. Whitney Guthman has, has been a, a close friend of Angie's for a long time, and in the time we've spent together, I've heard her talk a lot about the things that she worried about as a kid, uh, things that she worried about when she became a mom, things that she worried about when she was an adult, and, and really just some honest conversations about the ways that God has come and exchanged those worries for peace. So Whitney came in a, a couple weeks ago and, and shot a quick video with us, just describing what it looks like for us to exchange our worry for God's peace. The moment I was born, I had a lot of worries. You know, as a kid, you should be able to just play and um, not care about anything. And I cared about everything. And I wanted everything about me to be perfect. And I wanted my, the situations around me to be perfect. Being so fearful and worried at night. And my sweet mom would say, honey, just go to bed. Like, things will look better in the morning. And she would pray for me and tuck me in. And nighttime was just always a time I felt very anxious as a kid. As a teenager, I worried about my clothes. I worried about my image. I worried about my friendships. Um, I worried about my schoolwork. I wanted to make straight A's. I was very determined to be an excellent student and excellent at everything I did. I remember many times finding myself standing in front of the mirror crying because the image that I saw was not what I wanted it to be. It wasn't as perfect as I had imagined it should be. I remember so many conversations with my parents, tearful conversations of being anxious or worried about a situation. When I became a mom, I had very unrealistic expectations. I was planning on being the perfect mom, having the perfect children, and I had wanted to be a mom since I was a little bitty. I mean, I played dolls my whole life, and the goal was to be a mother. And my first year of being a mom was one of the hardest years of my life. I figured out that I was not fully equipped for this job. It was harder than what I could do or knew how to do, and this baby couldn't tell me what she needed. I've been on a path to be a mom since I was 
two. Um, it was a much harder job than I anticipated. I wanted to control everything about their world and everything about them, if I'm going to be real honest with you. And what that creates is not a very nice home life and a pretty mean, uptight mom. So what it looked like was a lot of yelling and a lot of um, getting in their face like, why would you say something like that? How dare you act like that? Because it's messing up, you know, this perfect image I'm working on. And it was so unloving and so unkind. And it was hurting my relationship with my children. I really prayed a lot about it. And I remember one time in particular, my daughter was getting older and we were just kind of going head to head about things. And God said, I just want you to hug her. Tell her you're on her team. It's going to just diffuse the situation. And where I was coming at her, ready to fix her, God's like, let me fix her. Just put your arms around her. Tell her you're on her team. And that brought such peace to my home. I started doing that kind of with all of my children in their moment of their anxiety and their worry and their frustration saying, come here. It's okay. Because that's what I had found that my Father God did for me over and over again. Hey, Whitney, you're worried. You're anxious. Come here. Come here. Spend time with me. Seek me. Pray. Turn on worship music. And then the fears started to leave. He didn't scold me. He didn't tell me, you could be better at that. He just said, come here. And um, that was really life-changing for our home. It's brought a lot of peace to my relationships with my children. I can't change them, but they can seek the Lord. I grew up in a house um, with parents who love the Lord. And the answer to all of my worries and my fears and my questions was Jesus. And I am eternally grateful to my parents. My mom, every time I come to her, she would like she would meet me at the mirror while I was crying or disappointed, and she would pray for me. And I would come downstairs in the morning, and my dad would be reading the Word. And they just set this example of, of a lifestyle that comes to Jesus first. So I may have been born a worrier, but actually God had called me to pray. And so I find myself, that's what I do. I have lots of worries. So if you have lots of worries, that's what you're called to do, is pray. And then he does. He fills your heart with peace. He answers your questions. He brings you um, ideas for the problems that you do have. I would say if you find yourself worrying all the time, that is not what you're supposed to end up doing. God says that we can come to him and trade our worries, and he gives us peace. And so I would say you're just called to pray. You take all of those worries to him, and he will answer you every time. He, he may say, wait. He may say, not now. He may say, repent. But in that moment, he will meet you and he will lift your anxiety and he will carry the weight for you. And then you can walk in peace and joy. I found so much peace and joy in my life as I have um, submitted my worries daily to the Lord. I'm Whitney Guthman. I traded worry for peace. stand with me. God extends that same invitation to you and I today to trade our worry for his peace. The only question that we're left with is, will we let him? Will we surrender our our sources of anxiety, our sources of stress? No matter how legitimate they might be, will we surrender those to the Lord? And so if you'll bow your heads and and close your eyes, I want to pray for you before we go today. And I would love to pray specifically for you. If you are are struggling with worry, with stress, with anxiety, there's some things in your life that that you know are taking up too big a spot in your heart. And you would love to exchange those for peace. If you'll raise your hand where you are, I just want to pray for you. Thank you, God. You see each one of us. You know the, the details of our life. 
You know the problems and the challenges that we're facing. And first of all, Lord, we come to you this morning and we repent of our worry. We ask that you would forgive us for our lack of faith in you. Forgive us for justifying our sin. Forgive us for excusing our worry. We thank you, Lord, that as we seek your forgiveness, you pour it out abundantly on us. There is no shame left. There are no works to be done. There is only new life to be received. So, Lord, I pray this morning as we release our worries, as we release our stress and our anxiety to you, that you would replace it with your peace. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and bring your peace that is beyond our ability to understand or explain. And let it flood our hearts and minds this morning. Let it overflow into our relationships, into our classrooms, and into our offices and job sites. Lord, we pray for your peace to reign in our minds. We pray for your peace to reign over our concerns about the future. We pray for your peace to reign in every space where we are tempted by worry. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give us the ability in this moment and all the moments to come to live our lives with open hands and uplifted eyes, releasing all of our anxieties and all of our burdens to you and receiving your peace and new life in return. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you'd like someone to join with you in personal prayers about some issues you're dealing with in your life, you can head out the back doors and to the left. Our prayer team will be with you, waiting for you in the prayer room. The rest of us, we're going to sing this final song. It's just a statement of our faith and our request for God to bring his peace to us.
on, sing that again. Let faith rise up, oh heart, believe. Let faith rise up in me. Lift your voice and sing. Let faith rise up. some of us, for some of you, it's the first Mother's Day since you lost your mom. Uh, for others, it's a reminder of a dream you have in your heart that has not yet been fulfilled. might be painful for all other sorts of reasons, but uh, before we go this morning, I'm going to ask my wife Angie to pray just a prayer of, of peace and blessing over all of us, but especially over our moms this morning. So if you're, if you're near your mom, your wife, uh, reach out, grab her hand, put your hand on her shoulder, just join us in this prayer for her. God, we come to you first off for, for those that are struggling today, God, that you would give them peace, that you would give them joy, God, but most of all, that you would help them open their eyes to see you beside them in their struggle and where they're at today, God. I pray for all the moms, Lord, no matter what stage of parenting they're in, God, that you would give them strength and joy for the journey. You have given them each individual child for a reason, God, so I pray that you'll just continually speak wisdom to them over each child, God, each thing in each child's life and how they should address it, what they should do, what they should say, how they should approach it, God, no matter what stage they're in, Lord, that you would just guide and direct them, Lord, that you would equip them, that they would lean on you for strength and guidance each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.